Hi, friends, and welcome to the Between the Covers Book Club podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want to let you know that we love you and you are always welcome to sit at our table. Between the Covers believes in passionately pursuing our best selves through inspirational books and elevating and empowering our members along the way. Please take a look at our website, btcbookclub.com backslash podcast to check out what books we are reading in the chapter calendar so you can read along and tune into these podcast discussions. We are all about empowering each other, so please leave us a review and also share this podcast with others. Again, we are so honored to have you on this journey with us. Let's dive in. Today is a guest episode with one of my most favorite humans on earth. His name is Terry. Some of y'all may know him. He owns a gym in Houston, Texas called The League. He is an amazing husband and honestly just a fantastic father to two little boys. He also has an app called Terry the Trainer. It has food plans and workouts and mindful moments and everything that you need to set up your life successfully. So I highly encourage you to download his app. Just to catch all of our podcast listeners up to speed, a couple days ago, I posted on the Between the Covers book club Instagram about how we as a community are going to be playing a part in the solution of racial injustice. Not only will we be reading a book about this topic called So You Want to Talk About Race, I have also set up podcast recordings with Black leaders and activists to hear their story. One of our core values is to empathize. And to do that, we need to come to this conversation with an open heart and an open mind and try our best to put ourselves in their shoes, even though we will never feel the pain that they actually feel. I suggest you to find a quiet spot for the next hour to grab a journal and journal out how this conversation makes you feel. Terry is such a light and he deserves our undivided attention. He's going to share with us how he's been involved with racial injustice, how he's raising his kids. Um, some advice for white parents. I, I just think the whole entire conversation is worth plugging into. And Terry, we're just so thankful for you and your wisdom. Everybody enjoy. Hey, I want to hear about you. How are you doing? How's Ashley doing? How are the kids? What's going on there? Yeah, so uh, we're doing pretty good. Um, it's obviously a, a pretty rough time in light of recent events, um, but we're navigating it. And uh, we're kind of learning some lessons and not consuming too much media because of kind of what it can do uh, emotionally and uh, having a lot of conversations lately. And those conversations can be pretty emotionally draining as well, but they're totally worth it um, because it's, it's important work and it's, it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to play a role in this, uh, I guess, like this great awakening that's happened and this uh, yearning for education on uh, social injustice matters. And so it's, it's stuff that we're willing to dive into, excited to dive into. I was uh, at a meeting last night uh, with some folks from our church where it was like, hey guys, we're gonna meet up at five, we'll be done by eight, but let's eat dinner and let's talk about this. And I mean, we left at like 1130 yeah, because there's exhausted. that much to explore, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And would not take back a single minute of it, you know? Popped up at 4 a.m., get ready to go open the gym today and you know, just keep on trucking. So. Uh, Honestly, but yeah, we're... I don't know how you do it like you and that's one of the questions I have and um, I have a whole list of questions that we can dive into mm -hmm. um, but of course I want to hear ever, like just hear your story and hear mm -hmm. about what does little Terry and Trenton know about what's going on how can we be mm -hmm. better parents a lot of people mm -hmm. listening are mm -hmm. parents to kids that they want to make sure that they're educating appropriately too and how are your friends reacting? Like, I have all these questions that I just want to hear about your life specifically, and like, you can't answer those questions wrong. 
Um, but then I do have a couple questions, like just about your life, because I swear anyone listening, Terry is the most motivating, driven person. And every time he walks into the room, he just like lights it up. And I just like want to dig deeper on like the internal fire that you have in your heart too. So Terry, I'm going to let you open it up. I don't know if you want to share your story or whatever you want to share, um, go for it. And then I'll hop into some questions. Sure. So uh, my cultural lineage is African-American and it's something that I'm proud of and it's something that I find beauty in. Uh, my hair curls a little bit different from most African-Americans and my skin is a little bit lighter than most African-Americans. And I grew up kind of feeling sort of racially ambiguous and that was a frustration for me. I feel like uh, a lot of my darker skinned counterparts maybe felt as if they were discriminated against in ways that made them kind of wish that they had lighter skin. I am African-American, but being lighter complected, I think everybody had assumptions that I was mixed with something. So if I hung out with my white friends, oh yeah, he must be half white, he's mixed. If I hung out with my Latino friends, yeah, he's probably got some Puerto Rican in there somewhere. If I'm with my Asian friends, yeah, he's gotta be half Filipino, right? I don't think anybody ever really, as a kid, understood my cultural lineage. And I come from the uh, Louisiana Creole uh, bloodline. And so it's a beautiful story, really. Uh, all within one generation's time, African-Americans were being freed from slavery in the South. Native Americans were being oppressed and pushed west forcibly. There were killings. It was a bad genocide situation. Uh, and then there were explorers coming to the United States from France and Spain. And these were all marginalized people groups that essentially were treated as less than human. And they found beauty in each other and created a new culture. And so the Louisiana Creole culture is African-American in its essence. And then hundreds of years back, there's a little bit of influence from Spanish, from Native American, from um, cultural influences such as that. And so that's why we end up having a little bit lighter skin and our hair right. curls, but it's a little bit different. And uh, it's something that in a time like this, I'm so proud of my culture because I get to talk about that. I get to share that, you know, and I think that people who might have carried biases against African-Americans, but then maybe, oh, we'll get that light skin dude to pass. Now they get that I hurt like all black people hurt. Right. <laughs> this is my story. This it's is my your family. Heart hurt. Yeah. Yes. Um, like if I take a 23andMe DNA test, it's going to tell me I'm black. You know what I mean? Uh, and then there are obviously frustrations around that too. Because if you really think about it, Maddie, it's like, my name is Terry Williams. I'm Terry Williams Jr. I'm proud to carry that name. I'm named after my dad. He's Terry Williams. He's a great man. I have a son, Terry Williams III. I believe he'll be a great man. I take pride in the Williams name because it's my family name. But when I think about things like this, I really come to the realization, and this is a sad one, Williams isn't our name. Right. Williams was a name that was placed on my ancestors by people who claimed to own people. Like that right there in itself is just, I mean, we can have a whole conversation about that. But, um, how's your dad doing with COVID? My dad is completely recovered from COVID, which is good. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he lives um, in Houston. Does your mom and dad still live in Houston? Yes. Okay. Yeah, both of my parents are here in Houston. Um, kind of in conjunction with my story, uh, since we're, we're talking about my dad, he, then this will, this will bring us to kind of a, uh, my first run in with serious uh, racial injustice. So when I was a kid, uh, my dad being born in the early 60s, he's a product of the civil rights movement era. Um, and he told me at a very young age in love and not with any intent to intimidate or scare me. He said, son, I love you so much. And I just have to tell you some really bad news. Uh, and he spoke it from a place in his heart, like he was speaking it as a truth he had accepted and was certain of. And he said, um, one day your day will come where you'll be arrested for being black in America. And I felt like those are really hard words you know really like heavy words for a little seven-year-old to hear um and it 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 really challenged some of the systems that i put together in my mind you know growing up in a generation separate from the civil rights movement i go to schools and everything is integrated 
I have white friends. I have Asian friends, Latino friends. I love it. It's beautiful. Diversity is like who I am and what I do. I love people. I love all people. Could not fathom in the first grade that anybody would not love me. Like, what are you talking about? People just love people, right? Right. And, you know, getting a little older, I would see racial injustice happen. And I would begin to understand, like, whoa, like what he's talking about is right. But I still don't believe it'll happen to me. You know, it's like you hear cancer exists and like, that's terrible. I don't wish that on anybody. And then you start to see relatives get cancer and you're like, oh man, that's so tough. I have one aunt that caught it and survived it and a grandmother that caught it and died. Like cancer's terrible. And then, you know, heaven forbid it ever happens to you. When I was in college, um, I left out of my condo complex uh, or went into the parking area of the condo complex rather um, to get an iPod out of my car. At the time, we had iPods and iPods. <laughs> we had done a road trip. Uh, uh, me and some UT guys had gone to Texas Tech for a football game. We'd oh. finished a long road trip back. And I realized when we get in the house, you know, I don't have my iPod, so it must be in the car. I go down to the parking lot, get my iPod out of my car. Um, cop car pulls through, and I'm assuming the best. I'm super naive. You know, I might have even, like, waved at the cop, you know, just thinking he's on his way to do something. Sure enough, the lights come on. He's speaking over the loudspeaker. He's telling me that I'm under suspicion of burglarizing vehicles. Um, so I was very respectful. I offered to show him my key, uh, show him my key opening my door. I said, I can tell you what the license plate says without looking at it. You know, I'll you have insurance. Like yeah. So I'm, I'm ready to, to, to prove what I feel doesn't need to be proved. And all of a sudden, everything that my father had taught me leading up to then that I just really hoped would never come true, but kind of silently feared may come true, in this moment, it had come true. And so anything that he had taught me that I might have felt uh, previously could have been like overbearing, all of a sudden, I was accepting it as truth and as wisdom. And it really hurt to accept and to learn in such a practical way to learn real way yeah. this is really happening to you yeah this isn't so, your dad talking to you at seven years old this is cops actually racial profiling you yeah so i'm under suspicion of burglarizing this vehicle i offer to prove who i am respectfully haven't said a word of disrespect to the officer um, he asked me to present my id i say yes sir i go to my pocket looking for my id I'm hearing the words, he's got a gun. Next thing I know, my head is slammed against the hood of this police car. Two more police cars come. We now have four police in the scenario. I'm told to sit on the hood of the car where they can see me. Um, all the lights are on on these three cars. The four officers are yelling. Um, people are waking up, you know, and you're seeing like lights come on and people are in this complex looking out like, what in the world's going on? Right. Um, and I explained, you know, my, my ID is, is probably inside the house. I came outside of the house just to get something out of my car real quick. And I'm happy to show you my ID. Um, like, I don't mind if you follow me to the house. Right. You know, I'm trying anything. Like, I just want to show you that I am who I say I am and I do live here and this is my property and that I'm not burglarizing anybody or anything. And I'm just kind of amazed too at that, that point because it's like, like, have I not been like the most friendly, like I'm being threatened. You have your hand on a pistol. And like you have slammed my head against the hood of your car and I'm still saying, yes, sir, no, sir, not losing my cool. And I'm grateful for the wisdom that my dad poured into me at an early age because I was able to say, okay, well, how do I get out of this alive? Not how do I prove my innocence? Yeah. Not even how do I prove my innocence? Like I knew in my heart I'm innocent anyway. But it was how do I make sure that I'm not the next person on the news with bullets in me and my dad's crying like I tried to help my son. There's nothing I could do. And my motivation became I'm going to prove my dad right. I'm going to get out of this scenario and be alive to thank him for educating me. And... I had resolved that my, my MO from that point on was to memorize badge numbers. And badge numbers are pretty long. <laughs> and there were four badges. Right. And they're like, how many numbers? Seven, eight? Oh, I my feel goodness. Like they're long. And it's, it's changed since then. 
but I believe it was like nine digits and there was a hyphen or two in there. It, it was a lot. So, um, so I, I, I said, I request permission to go and get this license, my ID. Um, and the whole way there, I'm just trying to memorize badge numbers. Right. Up some stairs, down a hall, turn to the right where the first door, that walk felt like it took 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm just memorizing badge numbers. Well, I get to uh, the pants that I had on earlier that day, go into a pocket to get uh, this license. I have the license to present to them. They're not looking for the license. They're, we, we're in a full-on illegal home search at this point, opening cabinets. Uh, oh, they're trying to find something at this point. Yeah. And uh, one of the officers went to the bedroom, had a single bedroom place. That oh, I so you didn't have with. roommates. I had one roommate. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so we just shared a bedroom. Um, and my roommate is white. And officers had flashlights going. And as soon as they popped into the bedroom with the flashlight, it startles my roommate, Troy, and he wakes up. Like, what's going on? There's a flashlight in the face. And... It was as if in the very moment that they saw Troy's face and realized who was witnessing this, everything ends. They're out, handcuffs off, no apology, no explanation. I clearly had not been under suspicion of burglarizing a vehicle. No resolution to the situation. They just left once they saw Troy. Yeah. So... Total culture shock. I had been so scared for my life. And then in the same moment that I'm realizing, okay, it's over. I have my life. The episode has ended. I'm also feeling this crazy unresolved. Like, why did it end there? Why now? Why in this moment? Why no explanation? Why not even a cover-up or a lie? You know? Totally. And uh, so call my dad. Troy wants to talk, and I'm like, man, let's both try to get some sleep. <laughs> and I'm writing these badge numbers down. And uh, my dad comes up to Austin from Houston. And the first thing that next morning, my dad, Troy, and myself went to a place called the Office of Police Monitor to report the situation. We're having to tell the story. Uh, it ends up becoming a case there in Travis County. And uh, these four officers lost their badge. It went down as Class B racial profile. Um, so I think about things like this George Floyd situation and, uh, you know, George Floyd, four officers, Terry Williams, four officers, it really just messes with me so bad. It's like every time that we see these tragic incidents where African-Americans are, you know, sadly, I don't know how to say it better than this, but like hunted. Um, it like reopens a wound. There's trauma there. Yeah, no. I mean, it happened to you. Yeah. And I feel a responsibility um, as a survivor of that trauma to be a voice for the victims who no longer have voices. Um, All over again, just like that night where I had like good news and bad news at the same time. I'm feeling that all over again, because this is terrible, tragic, tragic news. Um, but then also for the first time, for the first time ever, the good news is for the first time ever, I feel like people outside of the black community care. Which is great, but I know for me, and this is not about me, but I've held a lot of burden around that, mm-hmm. that it took mm-hmm. this much to care. and. I just, I, even as a BTC community, I wish we stepped in sooner and at least educated ourselves, at least read these books about racial injustice and started mm-hmm. the process of having the vulnerable, even though it's uncomfortable conversation to just mm-hmm. have that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in it now and I'm, I'm glad, but you know, I just wanted to have these conversations sooner, um, but was just yeah. scared. I was scared of hurting someone's feelings or beliefs mm-hmm. and that's not enough anymore, right? Like, it ha- these conversations have to start happening. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's been hard to have these conversations because I think that until now, it wasn't looked at as a human issue. It was looked at as a politicized issue, which is tragic. 
It's so tragic. You know, I, I think that so often we, you know, run to our new source of choice and make a decision based on whatever we have decided to subscribe to as true. And it's like, if you agree with me, then great. And if you disagree with me, then you're an idiot by default. And that's so tragic because then situations where people are literally being murdered become politicized. And so you see a case like, I'll take it back a few years, like Trayvon Martin, huge case, right? And it's like, somebody's claiming they legitimately felt threatened by him. Now, I have no doubt in my mind, those police officers may have legitimately felt threatened by me. (laughs) I'm not a threatening person. I'm the least confrontational person ever. I probably have the biggest smile of anybody I know, (laughs) which is so ironic, right? I know this is not a conversation that's all smiles, but that's who I am to the world is I'm joy. Mm -hmm. And I could sense, honestly, that they probably felt immensely threatened by a person that presented no threat. And that's the problem is an infamiliarity that expresses itself as an irrational fear and then results in an act of hate. Uh, I'm so scared of your kind of people that if I see you and it's the wrong time of night and I don't like that I saw you, then I have a, an alibi. I can say I felt threatened. Law will stand by me. I can kill you and we can sort this thing out later. And I feel like that's what happened with Trayvon Martin. And mm-hmm. there were so many cases like that where it's like, well, yeah, he shouldn't have been killed, but why did he have a pack of Skittles in his hand? That might have looked like a pistol. You know what I mean? Or why was he out at 2 o'clock a.m.? That doesn't sound like anything good was going on in that situation. Or, oh, that all happens in the hood. That never happens in my neighborhood. It doesn't affect me. So fast forward, we had the case of Ahmad Arbery. Uh, brilliant yeah. guy, engineering student at a university, out on an afternoon jog gets killed. And I think that that was a good wake up moment because people outside of the black community, and I saw this on social media a lot, were like, oh man, I go running all the time and I never fear for my life because I don't have to. And that was all he did and it cost him his life. Mm-hmm. And so then in the wake of that, you know, we get into the Breonna Taylor situation and then now the George Floyd situation and kind of the irony too. I don't, I don't mean to like be offensive in what I draw reference to here, but it's just time to talk about it. You know, you mm-hmm. see a man kneeling on a man's neck and murdering him. And then it's like, oh, now I get why people peacefully kneel. And so for me, it, it is a, a revisiting of a traumatic situation and almost a little bit of like survivor's guilt. Like, oh man, like, that's crazy. Like I made it out of that situation. And then, and then, you know, I got married and I graduated and we started a business and I have kids and, mm-hmm. but oh my God, now I have to raise my kids in this world. I have two boys. I have to raise two black boys in this world. And I'm seeing other black men now not surviving what by the grace of God, I was able to get out of. And it's, it, there's a real heaviness with it, but then there also comes with it um, the power of voice and the power of my story to be able to say to people as a survivor of that trauma that I do not hate white people, I do not hate police officers, I love people and that's all I ask in return is like love me because I'm a human. And it's really just a human issue and not a political issue. But for the first time ever this month, well I'll say last month when when Ahmaud Arbery's uh, unfortunate incident happened was was that first like oh man there's a sun ray through that cloud people are starting to wake up here and acknowledge us you know yeah um and i don't expect perfection from people and how they understand the situation that they've never been in and i understand too that people cannot fully understand what they don't hold as a lived experience yeah. all i expect is compassion And so to my many white friends who I adore and mean the world to me that have come to me like, I don't really know how to say this, but, or I I wish I had the right words for this, but I'm always like, there's no buts. You just say what you say and say it with love and then just be open to listen. Maybe there is an opportunity for education. Maybe your black brothers and sisters do have a little something to share with you that uh, can help you in the area of empathy, and maybe not too. Um, there's never ever been a time where hope hasn't healed hurt, and hurting people need hope. Um, 
I love that. We, yeah, we just, we just need hope. We're hurting. We've been hurting a long time all by ourselves because it's like, man, this guy who looks just like my cousin was murdered last night. Oh, yeah, well, he shouldn't have been walking around uh, past midnight. Like, was that worthy of death? Like, even if an individual commits murder, he should be taken to trial. You know, like, this guilty until proven innocent thing. And now for the first time, instead of it being a finger-pointing, victim-blaming thing, it's, okay, so an individual committed forgery, allegedly, and then he's murdered in the middle of the street in broad daylight. I mean, he could have done anything. It still doesn't, to me, justify murder. Yeah. I think in the past I've had this, like, oh, I'm not, you know, I love Black people. I'm not racist. And we talk a lot in BTC about neuroplasticity, the rewiring of the brain, when we talk about changing habits, working mm-hmm. out, stop drinking, overeating, how you actually have to um, create those pathways in your brain for it to kind of be an easier habit. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down when this, I was in Utah at the time, uh, last week, I sat down and I wrote, when I think of a black man, what are the first things that come to my mind immediately? I just started brain dumping everything I could think about. Mm-hmm. And I realized like there is some neuroplasticity there is some rewiring of my brain that even though i might say i don't i'm not racist i there is things that i need to understand to have better knowledge on this process and how i react to things and how being silent is not an option anymore and anyone listening like i totally encourage you to journal out some of the first things that you think of when you think of a black woman or man like it's not enough anymore to say that, you know, you're not racist. Like we're going to have to start digging in deeper and really figuring out like what, what our hearts feel and how we can start rewiring some things. I mean, all the way from movies, music, media, there's things being fed to us that aren't true and subliminally, like we're not choosing to accept it, but it's happening subliminally. And so we're gonna have to start digging that up and um, questioning all of that. So what is, um, so everyone that's listening, you'll probably heard it in the intro. Terry has an amazing wife named Ashley, who I'm gonna talk to. I'm gonna DM her and be like, I need to talk to you too, friend. Um, But he also has two adorable kids. Um, He has a little Terry. So is it terry jr or like what's his full name he's terry the third terry the third and then he has a younger one named trenton they're so cute and terry we have a lot of parents that listen to this moms and i'm sure she they share it with their husbands but what does terry and trenton know do you have any um white friends in your community that maybe do things to educate their kids that you've seen like that is very helpful kind of like any advice in the parenting world whether it's black kids or white kids like anything you think is working yeah so um i think the hardest thing in all of this is uh having kids and coming to the the realization that like these are two black men and they can have a degree or a good job or, you know, a clean cut appearance and all that working for them and can still be seen as a threat. And so we got to change the way that they're perceived. I love what you were talking about with neuroplasticity. People have got to reframe what they think when they see black man and consider the fact that statistically black men these days, a lot of us are very present fathers that undoes the stereotype. A lot of us show up on time to things. That undoes a stereotype. A lot of us have college degrees. A lot of us have never been incarcerated. Some of us have actually only ever been arrested when we were targeted while innocent. There's a lot of reframing that has to go on. I heard a great quote about how um, we keep trying to chase the bad sharks out of the water before they bite us. We don't need to chase the sharks out of the water. We need new water. It is systemic. It's this thing that we're swimming in that is tainted and it's toxic to a certain species 
such that other species end up being sharks to that species. Um, quick tangent, and I'll get right back to it. No, I love That's it. why the statement Black Lives Matter is valid and matters because all lives do matter and that includes Black lives. And the issue at hand right here is that one piece of our culture, one corner of society is in an uncommon form of unrest and oppression. And we gotta focus on that issue. And I love how Carl Lentz said it. He said, anybody with a functioning brain knows that all lives matter, but until all lives matter equally, we're focusing on this issue and right. focusing on one issue does not disparage another issue. And I just thought that that was so beautifully stated, especially by a person who's not a person of color, but is a person of compassion. Mm -hmm. And just basically saying that, you know, all lives matter isn't an untrue statement, but it is a politically charged rebuttal to the statement, black lives matter. And for that reason, we've got to change the divisiveness so that all lives are truly completely considered to be equal in value, um, including the black lives that we seem to just be losing all too often. So as a survivor of, um, of, of that injustice and a father of two little boys, here's what I would say to parents. Um, I have seen examples that really give me a lot of hope. Um, I think of our good friends, Greg and Jalen, a white couple. Uh, they have two little girls that are about the same age as our little boys. And um, before one of their little girls' birthday party, they called us and just said, you know what? Our girls have too many Barbie dolls that look just like them. And we want to change that. So if you want for their birthday, you can just get um, some dolls that look a little bit more like their friends, Terry and Trenton. And it's amazing. And that just gave me a whole lot of hope. It was a small thing, you know, but it was a massive thing because you're telling, um, you're telling me that you're normalizing this for your little girls. You know, they didn't go extreme and say, okay, throw out all these white dolls. We need black dolls. It wasn't that. And it wasn't, oh, we're going to have one token black doll so we can say you love black dolls. It wasn't that. It was, we're welcoming into your arrangement of dolls some diversity as a reflection of the world that you live in so that you see all of this as normal. That darker skinned doll is no different than that lighter skinned doll. These are your dolls collectively. And there's representation of different cultures among them. And I felt that that was so beautiful. And I think that we just have to do, um, we have to do more normalizing. You know, uh, one of one of uh, baby Terry's favorite movies right now is Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. And he is tripped out like, yo, dad, Spider-Man looks like Terry because they got Miles, a young, darker skinned kid with fun, curly hair. And 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 he's a superhero. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I never saw a person of color reflected as a superhero. And he gets to see that. And it's beautiful. And he'll grow up in a generation where. That was his norm, and I think that that's beautiful. I think uh, to all my friends out there who are parents who are not people of color, embracing things like that as opportunities to just normalize conversation about culture. Like, yes, Spider-Man can be black, you know? Black Panther, great black superhero, you know? But don't watch it because it's Black History Month and we're studying this and we're gonna have a quiz on it. No, just watch it because it's a great freaking movie right. and a beautiful story. And you happen to be introducing your kid to the notion that, man, a black man can save the world. Right. Um, great books, too. Um, there's, a, there's a series by a guy named Jelani Memory, and the series is called A Kid's Book About. And they tackle really, really freaking hard issues, but they speak it in a language that a kid can hear. Kid. So it's, yeah, a kid's book about anxiety, a kid's book about money management, a kid's book about uh body image issues all kind of stuff and one of them that they recently released is a kid's book about racism and it's just been released on the notion that it's never too early to have those conversations and i think that for uh, that's like the biggest conversation i've had is like man terry i heard your story it really crushed me and i'm a parent of white kids and like how can i do better and i so appreciate just the humility uh, and the compassion shown in that. Anytime somebody lays down privilege to pick up compassion, you're good in my book. You know, like, I love you and I'll fight for you because I feel like you just fought for me and even asking that question. So uh, I'm really passionate about my answer to that question is just be an ally. And so uh, what, what you said, and I want to honor you, Maddie, for just being so honest. What you said is so true for a lot of people 
even if they don't yet own it because you can see it and you can hear it in things that are expressed and you know this hesitancy to 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 honor and acknowledge the value of other people's lives despite preconceived notions um you basically said like hey look i'm not a racist and i have black friends and i love them you know and I can see how somebody might feel like that's good enough if that's all that they were exposed to. We don't know what we don't know, but you have been prompted and you're welcoming new ideas, perspectives, and people's stories and are willing to journey with people in compassion, which is huge. And to that, I would say to parents who are are not people of color, um, don't just not be racist, be an anti-racist and be an ally. We've talked to a lot of other married couples and one of them called Ashley and I of the day, they have two older kids who are in college and one younger kid who's only four. And they said, man, raising up our two older daughters, you know, we taught them like racism is terrible and we don't agree with slavery. And, you know, if your black friends come to you and they're hurting over something like this, like talk to them in compassion. Like they taught their kids, like we're not racist, right? And then, you know, those kids might have still been exposed to racial biases or, you know, little judgmental undertones or, you know, tongue-in-cheek comments growing up that they probably didn't really, like, correct or actively seek to um, engage with in conversation in a way that might change the water, right? Um, But with their younger son, they said it's an entirely different conversation. It's not enough to say racism exists and we're not racist. They're educating this toddler son who's about my son's age that you're an ally. You're a friend to people. And you don't get a token black friend to say you have a black friend. And you don't just say, I'm not a racist. Like, it's not about that. It's about, I'm going to be active and involved in in speaking against it, you know, using voice. um, And I think that that is probably the most profound things that parents can do is normalize it like actually talk about it for real, like celebrate diversity, you know, know like you as mom and dad have one black friend. You're like, Oh, I'm gonna start inviting them over. And then we, you know, we can say we invited black people into our kids' life, you know, right. Exactly. No, no, no keeping score, no tallies, just simply like, we're going to dive into diversity. Like our white family is going to go to the soul food restaurant this weekend. Let's experience ham hocks and oxtails and collard greens. I completely Um, agree. I think normalizing it is the best thing we can do for kids. And I don't, people listening, they know I don't have a kid, but um, just like, not like, oh, I feel like now we're going to see on the other side, like an overbearing, like, you know, just radical, which is great. Anything is great from what we were at. So, I mean, I applaud all parents that are teaching their kids that we have to be allies, but diversifying it and truly the kids truly understanding that we are one like I think that happens through like I don't know if your mom listening write out a list of what normalizing looks like trying different restaurants Mm -hmm. watching different movies that the diversify on the, the main character is different than the race that you are like make a list of everything you could do to try and make it more normal and um, I love that advice I think that's really great and I, that's even what I'm trying to do um, I, I think it's very attacking stereotypes that. too uh, I'm so sorry I didn't realize I no, you up there, but attacking stereotypes too is really powerful in normalizing it um, so like okay stigma right black men are not good fathers Last night in the conversation that I had, which kind of came to some really emotional points where there was some, some pain being expressed, an individual who's not black was like, yo, I've always held this preconceived notion that black men are bad fathers. I'm not black. My dad ran out on me. I'm hearing from black people that they have great fathers who are their best friends and their heroes. My dad is like my best friend and my hero. Texted him today, talked to him almost every day. Like, I adore my kids. You know what I mean? I like they're my world. I can't imagine uh, a life in which they weren't a part of it. Like I kind of like don't even really remember certain parts of life before kids because it's like they take up so much of my heart and my mind. And just I'm just like I light up like a Christmas tree even thinking about my kids smiling and I will fight to keep them smiling. And 
you know, so just like finding, finding those things that challenge stereotypes and then celebrating them in your home. Mm -hmm. So um, there's so many like great black films that show these beautiful nuances of black culture and like just the food we enjoy and the way we have conversation and the way we love good music and just little things like that. And it's like, man, it makes people more human to you. Like, oh man, that's a beautiful story about a beautiful family and they happen to be black, you know? Um, go ahead, I'm sorry. What about, um, I mean, shifting gears a little bit, um, mm -hmm. even though I could talk to you about this subject because you're just like pouring in and speaking to my heart so much right now and I've already learned an mm -hmm. abundant amount of things from you, but um, to shift gears, how do you keep the fire lit, Terry? Like you are, I mean, at anyone listening at this point, y'all can hear the passion in Terry's voice. He's passionate like this. Like he's extremely passionate about this subject, but he brings that passion to almost everything in life. Being a dad, being a business owner, um, being a mentor. He is extremely um, passionate. And you can be honest, Terry, you can say whatever you think that keeps that fire burning um this is like an honest group and so um i just like love to hear from you on that because i know a lot of people that are listening struggle with depression and anxiety and motivation and changing their habits and so um i just want to hear from you on that yeah um what keeps the fire lit for me is people i love people i love connecting with people i think that that is kind of like the main reason why um it's such a hardship for me that people are not valued as much as other people like i cannot wrap my brain around it you know what i mean just like i would think you know people i understand that people as they're now becoming more expressive in light of recent events are like man i can see something now that i did not previously understand um I get how people can be like locked in a box and not understand things outside of their experience. And that for me is one of those challenges. I don't get how people don't love people and I'm fired up by people. And so where other people would say, man, when this guy walks in the room, he, he lights it on fire and everybody feels like, oh shoot, like it's go time. Whether it's I'm like sharing something at my church or I'm coaching a workout at the gym or, you know, just like getting down with, with you guys in the book club. Like, yeah. um, but the reality is that sometimes I am absolutely exhausted and that fire is not lit and I'm tired and I want to tap out and I just want to take a nap. I want to be by myself for a while and recharge my batteries. But then the thing is, when people come into the scenario, that's it. Terry's on. I, mm -hmm. I can't explain it. Um, people will be like, how do you like open up the gym at 5 a.m.? Like what time do you even wake up? And then I saw you were running before the gym. It was on Instagram. And then you, you know, you coach the classes and then you like do off-season work for like the UFC guys, the NFL guys. Then you're going and doing ministry somewhere. And then you come back to the gym and coach more classes. Then you're a dad. Oh my goodness. But then the reality is in all those circles I'm going to, there are people and people, when I see them, I engage and love is the language I speak. And it's mm -hmm. like, I feel such a passion for connecting people. And you are making such a difference, like even in my life, but I can't even imagine the people you're seeing on a weekly basis at your church. Um, you and Ashley have people that you'll talk about marriage. And I see all things on Instagram about that, like how you are literally impacting so many people's lives and um i just think it is amazing that you are african-american and you're making a positive impact on on such a larger scale um i think that a lot of healing and understanding is going to be coming from hearing about you and just like neuroplasticity people hearing how dad you are how great of a business owner you are how great of a husband you are and healing those kind of false things that are in their brain and yeah okay well we ask all of our guests on our podcast why is reading important to you and do you have Man. a favorite book oh yeah so reading is amazing i used to be the guy who would buy books and start them and never finish them so i had this massive collection of unfinished books 
and then I, I kind of made some decisions as to how I would prioritize my reading. And so I have this new rule in my car. It's podcast over broadcast. So I love sports radio. I love, you know, listening to Spotify and just getting through my playlists and things like that. I love music, you know, that kind of deal. And not necessarily that it has to be an actual podcast, but the thing was I want um, great curated content that feeds my mind more than I want entertainment. So podcast over broadcast is like my simple container that I put that thought in. And um, I, 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 one of my core values is being connected with um, men of excellence. And so I'll go do coffee, breakfast, lunch with great guys who I respect a ton from time to time. And I started to notice this trend. If I was pulling up at the same place, same time, with one of these great men that I love to connect with, you know, I'm, I'm like jamming some new music from artists I love or whatever. I turn my music down when I'm pulling in and I'll hear a voice coming from their car. Not music, no beat, but a voice speaking in an educational tone. And so I'd start to ask these guys, you know, and, and these are guys who they would claim like, oh, like, you know, Terry, you inspire me and I look up to you and I enjoy this time connecting with you. I'm like, no, screw all that. I need to learn from you. What was it you were listening to? Because <laughs> yeah. I felt some conviction in my heart about it. You know what I'm saying? Not that it's yeah. bad to listen to music. I don't say this with any judgment to anybody. But the thing was, I, I had um, come to a realization that I had the opportunity to be educated on some things in time that I had. I couldn't say I'm too busy, but I made a choice that then blocked me from receiving that thing. And so then I would find out from this one guy who is a fellow gym owner, like, oh, I was listening to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It's amazing. Like, that's one of Alex's man. favorite favorite books. He that's loves awesome. that book. Yeah, and he was just telling me about how, like, man, this thing almost failed so many times, and then it became the biggest thing that industry ever saw, right? Yep. And then another guy, you know, oh, yeah, man, I've been listening to uh, Who Moved My Cheese, and I think it's the most brilliant business book of all time. And then, I, you know, I talked to another guy, and, oh, yeah, I was listening to such and such, da, da, da. So then I decided, that's it. I'm getting an Audible account, and I'm going to make my car time my reading time. Shortly after that, uh, my pastor had shared in a message that we actually spend more time sitting in traffic than college kids spend in a classroom. I'm like, whoa. So in four years time, I could have a degree's worth of information in this mind in time I would have already spent in the car anyway. So I've resolved that uh, my MO is I will read one book a month. Um, and what's happened now, because I'm on this system of getting great books and now hearing about great books and becoming the kind of guy that people would say, hey, what book would you recommend for this or that? And I have a book to recommend. I'm also taking in recommendations. And so I end up getting a lot more than one a month. Yeah. And so I've become, I've gone from the guy who never read, the guy who felt like he should be reading more, to now like, I love reading. Um, my favorite love books, thanks. My favorite books, um, I really love It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad. I mentioned that book uh, when we did our, our sweat our workout. Um, workout Wednesday. Yes. Um, it Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad is phenomenal. Uh, right now, I'm reading for the second time Atomic Habits by James Clear, another outstanding book. Um, i trying to think of some of my other favorites. Um, Brian Tracy, No Excuses, The Power of Self-Discipline, another phenomenal one. So that's, that's three of my faves. I love that. Okay, so can you explain to our listeners um, – how they can support you. We know you're a business owner. We know you have an app. We just explain kind of any endeavor that they can support you and how they do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I'd love to establish relationship. Like I said, I'm, I'm a people person. I love connecting with people. Um, so scream at me. I'm on Instagram. Uh, Terry, the trainer, really easy to remember. No underscores or punctuation. It's just at Terry, the trainer. Um, as Maddie mentioned, I do uh, own a gym along with my wife. It's called The League. It's here in, in Houston, Texas. Um, I know that a lot of people don't live in Houston and that among people who do, there's yet another group of people who understandably isn't comfortable coming back to a gym just yet after a global pandemic. I get that. Uh, there's also another opportunity in Terry the Trainer app. Um, you can download it on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store if you're an Androider. Um, but Terry the Trainer app, Subscription is $14.99 a month. It just costs exactly what Audible costs. Uh, and there's 
every single week there's a fresh batch of stuff published. There's workouts. There's a fun thing I do called Sunday Run Day. I'm given a run protocol on tempo training. Um, I do a weekly meal prep recipe every week. It's got a beautiful image of the meal. It's got a grocery list included. And it's real, actual, healthy stuff that I'm cooking for my family that I'm sharing with you and your family. And then uh, my favorite piece of the app uh, is the mindset modules. Every Monday morning, I upload a new mindset module. It's a three-minute or shorter video with just one big thought to unlock massive power in your life for the week to come. Um, so really, best way to support me and best way to support yourself and your healthy lifestyle is get down and Terry the Trainer app. Mindset modules, meal preps, workouts, and community. I don't know how I almost forgot to say that. Community is a private social media platform that I moderate within the app. So it's crazy. Like it's just a bunch of like-minded people who love fitness and love people talking about goal crushing in a safe space where it's all um, inspiration and accountability and no judgment. No, I love that. I know a lot of our um, BTC members go to the league. Um, you have like Shelby going now. Yes. I just see on Instagram. I'm like, oh my God, they're all going. I used to live in Houston. That's how I met Terry. I would go to his early morning classes and it's an amazing gym. And um, I'm actually going to, I've been meaning to download the app because I need help with meal planning. Like with this whole like pandemic, I've been eating so much snacks because I'm, I mm-hmm. work at home. So I'm just like, from the dining room to getting another snack, from the dining room to getting another snack. And I'm like, this is enough. Like I need to actually (laughs) put a meal plan in place. And like, this is what I'm eating. And so I'm actually gonna, I need to get the app ASAP to to plug into that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Terry. I just love you. I love your family. I, I just, my heart could not even communicate the right words to let you know how much I love you. I'm almost wanting to educate myself to make a difference in your son's lives because you all just have that big of an impact on my life. And so um, I just adore you and I promise I will do my best in this um, field and new knowledge and make a bigger impact. And I just, thanks for sharing your story. I know it can be uncomfortable, but you did it with grace and I just, Hope you have a good day and um, we'll talk soon. Well, thank you. And I know that um, it can't be the most comfortable thing in the world for you either to just be as raw and real and honest as you were. And just for anybody who's listening who maybe uh, connected a little bit with the things that Maddie shared and maybe that felt uncomfortable, like getting that honest, I would just say to anybody who's feeling those things, as a survivor of racially motivated situations that spark trauma, I'm telling you, I love you and I celebrate your decision to use your voice and just be a compassionate voice of allyship and to just let people know that they matter to you. And I think that the world would be a much better place if we all could lean in in that direction. Thank you so much, Maddie. This was incredible. Thank I appreciate you, you, Terry. I love you so much. Have a good day. Give the kids and Ashley a hug for me. I sure will. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.